0: God, I pray right now for every person in this room, every person within the trajectory of the sound of this voice, that you would impact every one of us so profoundly, so perfectly, so beautifully. And that today, Lord, we would be ministered with what it is you wish to tell us, that our hearts and minds would be in the right place. And God, I pray that the things that need to be addressed tonight will be addressed. Speak into our lives. But Lord, it takes more than you speaking into our lives because clearly that we have to be willing to hear you too. So give us a willingness to hear you. God, let us today be in this right place with you. way we, like Mary, choose the greater service of sitting at your feet, hearing your words. So Lord, get me out of your way speak only that which is from your heart and minister to each one of us. Bespoke a word or several to each of us. And let us hear you and embrace you tonight and know you better. And Lord, please, tonight, let this be so meaningful for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight, as it would any, please just don't believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. We're in Second Samuel 20. We are roughly right at about the turn of the century, so that's roughly 1,000 BC. And, and Israel has made a really stupid choice. For the most part, what they've done is they've chosen to follow this young lad, happened to be David's son. Who, in essence, sought to basically overthrow his dad. He he really wanted his dad dead, and he wanted well, he wanted his dad's kingdom, and and there were some sort of sort of obstacles in the way, including the life of his father. Well, with that, understand what you have in the simplest sense is there's a rightful king who belongs on the throne, who now is getting ousted, and he's ousted by a guy who is. Full of vanity. He's got this beautiful hair. And it turns out to be that the very symbol of his vanity becomes the thing that gets him hung on a tree for it. Interesting, of course, because a symbol of our vanity, our sin, winds up on the cross with Jesus as God's own son then hangs on the tree for us. As, as we read, by the way, in Deuteronomy and then reiterated in Galatians, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And, and God tells us that to get the rightful king in his proper place, something like that's gonna have, that has to happen. Well, with that in mind, the rightful king himself, it's his own son who dies. Now, the biggest difference is that his son's a jerk, is where Jesus, of course, is the opposite. Uh, But in that, now we're trying to get this rightful king back on the throne. Now, you need to realize, in standing with God, it's as simple as a prayer away. No matter how far you are from God, how crazy you are from God, there gets that point in your life where you realize, if I'm willing to confess my sins to him, He's faithful and just to forgive me of those sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. From a positional standpoint, we are right with God the moment we confess. But in a practical standpoint, we've, chances are we've built some really horrible lifestyle practices. These habits, these things now that have become regular in our lives, ruts. And you know the only difference between a rut and a grave is its depth. Well, consider that. And so if you're in that kind of rut, well, you realize certain things start to change to get the rightful king back in your life to rule over all areas of your life, well, changes really need to be made, and lots of them. And what we really see in last chapter, and in this chapter, is exactly that, that there are certain things that happen that have to really change to reconcile, to be ousted for the rightful king to take his place. And it's not just, hey, I'm really happy to have you as Savior, but I really need you as the Lord of my life. But what we do find in this chapter, interestingly enough, if we could kind of a, a Title it. It would be like abandoning the king. I mean, in the last chapter, it's like trying to get the king back on the throne. And here, what we see is a radical abandon, a desertion away from the king. And who who is the group who did it? Well, interesting. In the last chapter, in chapter 19, verse 43, you understand there was this argument, and the argument was over David's own tribe, Judah. David, the rightful king. And these other ten tribes of the north. And these ten tribes had been talking about getting David back after the rebel died. After Absalom the rebel had died. And they, you know, they're like, well, you know, we really should get the king back. We really should get the king back. You know, it's really stupid not to have the king back now. We should really bring him back. But nobody does anything. And because nobody does anything, what we have then is we have a group of people who, who are, all about, are all talk and no action. And that's the northern tribes. The majority, by the way, if you will, their argument is we have the majority invested in the king. I mean, we're 10 out of 12. That's five-sixths of all of the tribes is us. Shouldn't we have more say of it? But they never brought the king back. That's the real point. And there's something I start to see in this as we look at this chapter, and now that you've read through one's. But there's something scary to think of how easy it was for such a group of people who were saying, you know, we really need to get Jesus on the throne. We really need to get the king right where he belongs. We need to get him on the top of our lives. That somewhere in the line, all that talk means nothing. And all it is, is primes you in a position waiting for just one person that is now swearing, in essence, opposition against the king to drag you away. Now, perhaps you're familiar with this. Maybe you're not. But the hardest time to get the car in reverse is when it's already moving forward. But you know that if you're going to get the car to go backwards once it's moving forward, you have to put it in neutral. You have to stop it first. Once you stop it, it's going to be just as difficult, as long as there's no hill, to go in either direction. Well, understand, when we're kind of sitting still and doing nothing, I'm not talking about being still before the Lord, but when our life isn't in pursuit of Him, it's just as easy or maybe even easier to fall backwards because it's what we're more familiar with than it is to drive forward with him. So this group of people were like, yeah, you know, an interesting once. And, and they were all talk until, well, in, in, until it exaggerates here, when Judah brings the king back and then they get in their face. And they're like, how dare you? And understand, maybe you're in a situation where you have been lukewarm with the king understand that doesn't mean that you don't want him as your savior lukewarm if you really be honest about it means i would rather have you as savior but have me as lord of my life i'd rather make the decisions on what i want as long as you're willing to bail me out if things get rough it's a horribly lukewarm place to be well it's a lot like these people and in a situation like that when if you're a group in a group of people that are like that, and one of those people really gets on fire with the Lord again, Jesus, I want you to be the center of everything. It is amazing how the same people that were happy to be lukewarm with you now get all real hot under the collar about your newfound passion for Jesus. And they do the same thing that these guys are doing. What? Oh, come on, you're getting lunatic, you're going overboard, you're getting crazy with this Jesus thing. We were all cool with Jesus before this, but now look at you, you're like a lunatic over Jesus. And then there's like us, the real Christians, and you realize that's the same thing these guys are. So they go and they're like, how dare you try to bring the king back on the throne? You know, we were ta- we've been talking about it longer than you have. You can see them going, but what difference does your talk mean? Because your talk is getting you nowhere. Interesting, by the time we now get into chapter 20, and by the way, it ended with this argument, but it told us that the men of Judah were fiercer, the words of the men of Judah were fiercer. The word, by the way, for what's with is the word pasha. Bisha means more stiff or more resolute or more firm than the words of the men of Israel. By the time the last chapter ended, there were the ten tribes of the north arguing with the two tribes of the south. That's interesting enough, Benjamin and Judah. And they're like, how dare you do that? And they're like, hey, look at he's from our tribe. You know, And I don't see any of you getting up to do anything about it. So we decided we're going to go and do it. And then in that they're like, and they're arguing, and then finally you realize that these men who went up and did something are going to be more resolute. And you will always be that the person who's going to get up and follow Christ is going to be more resolute in their walk than the person who just talks about it. And that becomes a problem. Because so much of what's called Christianity can involve talk. But where's your quiet time? And I'm not here to condemn, but I'm here to challenge. Because if all we're doing is kind of hanging out at times and talking about Jesus when other people that love Jesus are around us and applauding us in that moment, but we have no interest in Jesus for the rest of our lives, well, then we're sitting duck for a guy like this guy Shiva here. So at the end of that, it tells us then in chapter 20, verse 1, that it happened, there was this rebel. That tells us before God even told us anything about him. And by the way, for what it's worth, in the King James and in the original language, it says there was a son of Belial. In the simplest sense, this was a worthless scoundrel. He was a punk. Whatever term you would use at that point. Because, you know, lo and behold, there was this jerk. Now, the worst part about it is, this wasn't Samuel telling us this. This was God telling us this. And of all the people who want to call you a jerk, you really don't want God doing it more than anyone. And he says, there was this guy, he was this punk, he was this jerk, he was this rebel, and his name was Shiva, the son of Bichri. And he blew the trumpet and he said, We have no share in David, nor have we have any inheritance with the son of Jesse. That's David, his dad's name is Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man deserted David and followed Shiva, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. Now, did you notice all it took for the vast majority of the people was one guy to stand up who clearly said, I, I, to be honest, Who does he think he is trying to tell me what to do? Interesting, he still calls himself someone from Israel. And it wasn't just all the men of Judah, but did you notice it said, but the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem. And what that tells me is those that had gone to the other area, the area of compromise, well, it seemed like they were caught up in this too. And I look at this and I realize this is the majority leaving the king for something else. So evangelism becomes debate now. Our quiet times become reading books. Our prayer times become some diversion, just so that we stop thinking about the problem. You know, listen to this verse. This is from Galatians. The only church of the 13 letters Paul writes. It's the only church that he actually even questions their salvation. The others are like, ah, oh, I'm so... I mean, and let's, there are other churches where like a guy's sleeping with his mom. They're suing each other. People are turning spiritual gifts into this circus, and he never questions their salvation. But the Galatians, he starts to wonder, and he says this in Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you were turning away so soon, hear me, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You weren't just trading one gospel for another gospel. You were trading in Jesus for this other gospel. And Paul goes, I, I just can't see in the world. How in the world? It's like the guy finds the perfect girl. She's amazing in every way. He marries her. And then somewhere down the line, he sees, pardon me for, I'm just going to kind of get crude here, if you will, something kind of skanky, nasty, rotten, horrible thing that's just mean and nasty and has nothing really that just makes his life miserable. But for whatever reason, he would rather chase after that skanky thing than he would. And you could see his friends going, what in the world are you doing? You've got this amazing beautiful thing in your house that you are that you know that loves you and adores you and you're chasing after that. Well that's what Paul is saying. He's looking at this church and he's going, How in the world are you forsaking Jesus for this? This is crazy. Well and that's exactly what they see here is they're forsaking the king because one guy stood up and to be honest it just seemed like he had a spine to do so. Jesus would say, for what it's worth, in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Interesting, at the end of that whole message, in Matthew 7, when he does the Sermon on the Mount, 5 through 7, he says, I'm going to compare this whole thing. Now that you've heard my message, it's going to compare it to building a house on either one foundation, or or actually, Luke would say, no foundation in the other. One's on the rock, one's in sand. And he says, the difference was if you hear my words and do them. He doesn't say, if you hear my words and that's good, then you're building your house on the rock. He doesn't say, if you agree with all my terms, you're building your house on the rock. He says, if you hear my words and do them, now you're building your house on the rock. You could hear the words, agree with every one of them, teach them to someone else, argue their points and their finer points with someone else, and still be building your house on the sand if you're not doing them. Well, there's the problem. So this particular character, by the way, for what it's worth, Bichri, the son of Shiva. Uh, Bichri, by the way, uh, Shiva. I'm sorry, the son of Bichri. Shiva, by the way, means covenant or seven or completion. He's mentioned nine times in the chapter, and eight of those nine times, we keep getting reminded who his dad is. Now, why in the world would you do that? Wouldn't you think one would be enough? I mean, any of you think that we're going to run into Bichri somewhere and go, Oh, hey, we just read about your son. You know, I mean, what a jerk. God told us. You know, I mean, if you think about it, what in the world was happening here? Well, Bichri, for what it's worth, means immature or youthful or to be impetuous. Just to kind of jump first. I kind of get the idea that's really what's going on here. And I realize one of the things that happens in our youth and our immaturity in Christ is we're quick to jump at things that seem Jesus-ish but really kind of lead us away from him in the end. Often that can be a relationship with someone that, you know, the moment you hear words like, well, he says he's a Christian. Do you think Satan wouldn't tell you he was a Christian if he wanted to go out with you? I mean, you know, let's say some of you're like, "Oh, I know, I went out with Satan, you know." You know, you know, that it's like Satan's a liar, and those who serve him are also liars. And it says that they disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. Not just guys who do righteousness, but they parade themselves as guys who actually are in, in the ministry. Because shouldn't that surprise you? He goes, look, at if, if Satan parades himself as an angel of light, should it surprise us that those who serve him basically do the same? And here's the point. The moment you start playing that game, well, kind of Christian, kind of Christians like kind of pregnant. How does that work? Let's face it, either you are or you aren't. Well, I'm kind of married. How are you kind of married? Do you have the ring? Did you say I do or not? Did you say I and not got the do out? Well, then you're not. You know, and you know, it's just there's no kind of in this. Well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of dead. Well, that's not so good either way. In our first situation, the king was ousted by a single rebel, but in the second case, the king is abandoned. Now, all of a sudden, here's David trying to take the rightful throne, and all of these things start bailing. Can I say, this is going to happen to you too, and it's going to happen to me. Man, you want to put the Lord right in your life, and you go, but if I do that, I'm going to kind of lose some friends. Well, what kind of friend would leave you if you fell in love with the Lord? Is that really the kind of friend you want? I mean, that's kind of going, you know, I'm kind of dying from a deadly disease, but if I get well, all my friends will leave. Well, what kind of friends when you're dead? I mean, what's, what, is there something wrong with that to you? Because there is to me. Well, anyways, with that, it says then, and we better get moving because we're on verse 3. It says, Now David came to his house in Jerusalem. He's starting over like, kind of like when we began in the beginning, where David started, where the first seven and a half years of his ministry, or his kingship, if you will, was in Hebron for only these two tribes as well. And the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, put them in seclusion and support of them, did not go into them. They were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood, much like Absalom had done with his sister Tamar. Now, the guy who led the rebellion, his son Absalom, had a commander, and commander's name was Amasa. Amasa, for what it's worth, his name means burden. It's a pretty good name for a guy that you're going to see here. So the king said to Amasa, I remind you, this was the commander of his enemy army that he's trying to make commander of his own now. Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed. Now, there are certain things we don't realize are our abandoning when they're happening. I mean, one of those things, if we're going to just be honest, is being about all talk. Because we can talk so much christian that we actually forget that our feet have no Christian experience whatsoever. Our hands have no Christian experience whatsoever. And our heart is far from them. The Lord would say in Isaiah that my people, they glorify me. They worship me with their lips. And this is teaching the commandments of men. He goes, but their hearts are really far from me. And according to 1 Samuel, though man looks at the outer appearance, God looks at the heart. So here I am looking and you could do all of the right things on the outside and God could say, but your heart is still far from me and that's really what I want. I just want your words or your songs or your things that look so great and magnanimous. What I really want is your heart. See, if I had your heart, we wouldn't be arguing over anything. We wouldn't be asking, well, what does he want? My time, my money, what does he want? Because let's face it, if if I had your heart, all you'd be busy doing is enjoying me like I'd want to be with you. So he sends this guy whose name is Burden. He says, go gather the people. And the guy takes his time. And this is an easy place to overlook as well, our abandoning of the Lord. Well, what happens is the Lord says, I have this thing for you and I want you to jump on it. And you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. But isn't it just seem like the other people that are like, you know, I should really get the king back on the throne, but it's all talk, though. And Amasa's like, yeah, I should do that. But he's really just kind of procrastinating. And there's a burden in delaying, isn't there? In Psalm, in Psalm 3, verse 27, actually it's Proverbs three twenty-seven. it says, Do not withhold good from to whom it is due when it is in your power of your hand to do so. If you're actually able to do something really good, to pull a solid on someone, just do it. So David turns to Abishai. Now, Abishai, now, I remind you, was Joab's brother. Joab was his commander, but he was the one who killed his son. And David said to Abishai, Now, Shiva, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find, his fortified, find for himself fortified cities and escape us. The king doesn't want this rebellion to be established. Now, please hear me on this. This is the danger of procrastination. It's kind of a bad thing that you do, becomes a bad thing you've done a few times, that becomes a bad habit, that becomes a bad addiction, that becomes a bad consuming addiction. And what the king, as he's now taking his rightful throne, says is that rebellious thing needs to be squelched and it needs to be squelched quick. The more you wait, the more possible it is that this thing is going to get established. And he goes, I don't want this thing established. Why would a king want a counter-movement, a mutiny, established in his kingdom? Because we need to get after this and go after it hard. Basically the same advice that Absalom was actually given by his first counselor, Ahithophel, which was great counsel, by the way. Praise God he didn't take it because it was after David. And that was, you know, you need to go hard and heavy right away. Well, that's what David is saying though. So here's the situation. The king has sent Amasa, and Amasa has taken his sweet old time, so he turns and gets the second guy. That's Abishai. Abishai's Joab's brother, and he says, hey, I really need you here. Now, for what it's worth, those two guys are cousins. David has two sisters. One of his sisters has the sons Joab, Abishai, those are the two guys we see here. The other sister has this son, Amasa. So they're cousins. We started with one. Uh, and what, that makes it David's nephew. He turns to his nephew, Amasa, and says, Hey, go do this. He takes his time. He turns to the other side to his nephew and says, All right, Abishai, it's your turn. Go and do this. Because I really don't want this thing to get established. So Joab's men were the Cherethites and the Pelethites. That's David's, if you will, that's his sort of crack soldiers. That's his SEAL team. Uh, and all the mighty men went out after him. And they went out to Jerusalem to pursue Shiva, the son of Vichri. Notice again, there's his dad, the son of impetuous youthfulness. Uh, there was a large stone, which is at Gibeon. Now that means they're only roughly five miles away from Jerusalem at this point, north of where Jerusalem is. A came before them, and Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened and sheeted at its hips. He was going forth, and it fell out. Now, The hard part about this text, for what it's worth, is the way that it's worded, and if you have an old King James, it actually goes the other route, is really kind of, well, it's open to interpretation in regards to who it actually was that was wearing Joab's battle armor. The way that it is in the actual Hebrew says he, but the he dangles on either guy, which is either Joab or this guy, Amasa. One of the two of them is clearly wearing the armor. So on one side, Joab's wearing his armor and his sword falls out. That seems a little weird to me because you'd think that the guy would know how to use his sword. On the other side, you've got Amasa who put on Joab's armor because he was taking Joab's position. And he's like, he kind of just threw it on haphazardly and the sword falls out. Regardless of the case, I kind of go with the second for what it's worth. It's really immaterial. But what's clear is the guy that's going to procrastinate isn't going to be ready and he's not going to be fully armored like he needs to be, as Ephesians 6 tells us we should be. Nonetheless, what the problem here is, is that, well, if you think about it, Joab basically got fired, and this guy takes his place, and Joab really doesn't handle that stuff really well. So Joab, uh, his men went with his brother, and so there was this large stone, and isn't this large stone, they're only five miles out, this guy that's supposed to be gathering all of Israel is really hasn't gone very far at all, he's really not done much, that's the Amasa character. And so he comes and he meets Joab. So there's the fired guy and the new hired guy. And the fired guy, Joab, comes up to him, and it's kind of a humorous thing. In verse nine, Joab says to Amasa, "Are you in health, my brother?" They're cousins, so you get that. Uh, and you, you know, if you could hear what he's thinking, he's like this, because you know the story now. "Are you in health, my brother?" "Well, you won't be now." So Joab takes Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. That's strangely enough, actually custom. Uh, But Amasa didn't notice that his sword was in Joab's hand, not the sword. So he struck him in the stomach. His entrails poured out on the ground, and he didn't strike him again, and thus he died. But he didn't die quickly. Joab and Abishai, his brother, then pursued Shiva, the son of Bichri. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa, the guy who was wallowing in his own blood with his entrails sticking out. And they said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. Now, did you notice who was listed first, David or Joab? And look at at verse 11. Who's listed first? Excellent. Joab. Thank you. They gave me a chance to get a drink. Joab. Now... Get the idea here. Joab's got a real problem with David. After all, he did fire him. But So in this, it's like Joab's kind of getting top billing. And what happened is Joab kind of looks at his replacement. He goes, hey, cuz, how's it going? What's up? You doing? Are you well? Oh, well, that's going to end. And then he, and he cuts him and just everything kind of comes out of him. And then the guy falls over and he's like, oh, oh, oh. no, forgive me for the graphic. We're all kind of young enough to, you, don't complain. You've seen movies worse. So. In all of that, notice, by the way, here's a new way of abandoning the king. There's that all talk, no action. There's that procrastination, which really is all talk, no action. And then there's really this situation, which is somewhere in our jealousy and bitterness, we want to go after someone else instead of getting right with the king. Now, if Joab had gone to the king and said, King, I am so sorry, I am wrong. I shouldn't have killed your son. You gave a direct order not to kill him, and I killed him. Will you please forgive me? That's a different story. But Joab never seeks forgiveness from David. Job just goes, forget that, you know, like he has any concern over that. Well, I'll just instead, I'll just go and kill my competition. So in that, understand this is a natural place to abandon the king. And it happens to every one of us. if We're not careful. Someone does something and it hurts you. They've betrayed you. They've offended you. They've really got under your skin. They've got under your nails. And it hurts that thing they said, that look they give. and And they did it on a text. Or however it was. And the next thing you know, you're kind of there and you're kind of in shock. And you're like, I can't believe that person would be that horrible to me and then at that moment you know what happens is your mind even if you're not creative knows how to create the way you're going to pronounce vengeance on them it may never be lived out but in your head it's rehearsed over and over and me oh they're gonna die and they're gonna die slowly oh yeah like this and you might be looking at him going hi how's it going but inside you're like ooh yeah this is a good idea cut you entrails everywhere You know, and, you know, but you're like, hey, I'm fine. Thank you. And how are you? Lovely day. You know, but, but, you know, inside you're like, and, you know, come here, let me have your beard for a moment, girl, you know, and that's kind of the idea you get here is that this guy is abandoning the king because really, to be honest, the king just kind of told him and says, look at that doesn't play here. Interesting. I challenge you to study the life of Judas Iscariot uh, in scripture. By the way, we don't ever read he was a Christian following Jesus, and one day he woke up and Satan tackled him from behind. It said he was a thief from the beginning. He used to help himself to the money box that he was carrying, by the way. The guy was never a Christian that was led astray. He was a a betrayer before he joined, and he was throughout. But when does the whole thing really hit the road? Though it was in his heart, was when Jesus rebukes him because he rebuked the girl that was lavishing him with this beautiful ointment before his death. And he says, leave her alone. What she's done is for my burial. And from this point forward, when anyone tells the gospel, this story is going to show up there, which we have in Scripture. It says, from that point, Judas went over, and he didn't just have the information he was rolling around in his mind. He went to the chief priest and he said, what will you give me if I lead you to him? That guy had been rebuked by Jesus, and that was it. He was done. And in the same way here, in essence, if you think about it, he's kind of been rebuked by David, and he's done. So, he kills him. This chapter is a rather graphic chapter, isn't it? I should have warned you, this is the, uh, what do we call that? This is the 15th chapter. So, what happens as a result of it? And and, and I, I think we're going to really need to deal with that. We're going to kneel to deal with that place where we kind of look at ourselves and say, is there any bitterness I'm harboring for somebody? Now notice, you may think you have legitimate reason. The person may have legitimately hurt you. I'm not denying that. They may have legitimately betrayed you. They may have legitimately done something horrible to you. I'm not limiting or minimizing that at all. The issue is not what's been done to you. The the issue is what you're going to choose to do with it. I mean, if somebody basically stabbed you in the back and then you chose to pull that knife out yourself and then continue stabbing yourself because all you want to do is live that fact over and over again, how many times do you want to stab yourself? And they talk about bitterness is drinking or unforgiveness is drinking poison despite your enemy. It doesn't work. The only person you're hurting is yourself. And we really need to deal with that because if we're going to really let Jesus be the king and we're going to follow him, forgiveness is paramount because it's the only reason we have a relationship with him in the first place is because of his forgiveness. So, verse 12, warn you, 15 part. I'm also wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the men saw, see, when, when the man saw that all the people stood still. Now, you know what that is, right? We used to call that a Gawker's Extraction, you know. That's the kind of thing where you're, you're driving, and this used to happen all the time in L.A. You know, you'd be, you'd be driving, and all of a sudden, it's, you know, there's like 25 lanes, and each one of them is as wide, you know, as like the Isle of Wight. And and you're there, and you don't understand, you're like, what in the world is about, and you finally, you're inching, you're inching, and then you realize there's like somebody that's like pulled over on the side of the road, and everyone kind of was driving like this. Oh, oh, oh. Now... You know, they're they're gawking. And and, and basically, that's the issue. Here is, you know, Joab and Abishai is like, let's get this thing. Let's go take care of this guy. And everyone's kind of going, well, check out Mr. Wallow and his blood, buddy. You know, and he's like, okay. So he throws the guy off of the, you know, off the highway, covers him up. And he goes, all right, nothing to look at here, everyone. And he finally gets everyone going. Which tells you, by the way, that there's a lot of, and this happens to any one of us, prayerfully not this situation, but that we're easily distractible. We find ourselves in a situation where God calls us. And this is what happens. You know, you're going, Jesus, I want to be right with you every bit. I want you to take the throne in every area of my life. And the Lord goes, well, how about this area? And you're like, oh, I was really hoping you wouldn't start there. Yeah, you're laughing because I'm not the only one. He says that to you, right? And so he's like, all right, we're going to deal with this relationship. We're going to deal with this situation. We're going to deal with this attitude. We're going to deal with this thing you're letting in that you know isn't right. And you're like, So so, when when should we do this? Easter? It's coming up in a month. It's like, no, now. Why do you want another month of this? You, well, when did you want me to be right with you? You want now? Do you think you're going to like, we'll get right now, and then in a month from now, we'll take care of this? We're going to take care of this now. This is in between us, and I don't want it between us anymore. In essence, it's like he's going, kick out the other girlfriend, you know, or kick out the other boyfriend. Like, Put care of the other boyfriend because I really want to be your your first love here. And then you're going, yeah, okay, I should, you're right. All, right. All right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Oh, squirrel! You know, and it's like we have spiritual ADD, you know. And a moment like that, we're just like, you know, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to crack open my Bible. And it is amazing how you can take your Bible, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the day I'm going to do some reading. Yeah, okay, huh. Oh, wait a minute, you know, I actually have an app for that. Yeah, that's probably easier, right? Okay, well, I'm check Oh, wait a minute. Well, wow, Facebook. Facebook's here first. I probably should check that first. Okay, Facebook. Okay, huh? what you did? What? Okay, hold on. I like. I don't like that. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. They sent something on puppies. I gotta see the puppies. You guys get check out the puppies thing, right? Puppies. Ah, oh, puppies. Puppies, yeah, okay, mm, puppies, okay, now where was I, oh yeah, that's right, Facebook, yeah, okay, Facebook, oh wait a minute, check it out, right below it, it's my emails, let's see, oh, I just got something from Steve, Steve, how's he doing, I haven't heard from him in a long time, oh, check that out, Whoa. Oh, wait a minute, there's a new, what is it that I can buy on Groupon, 70% off, socks, I think I need those. Yeah. Oh, those are nice socks. Yeah. I got to get that. Okay. And what was I supposed to be doing again? Oh, yeah. Huh. Mm. Well, now I don't really have time. Well, right. You, you see how that works? You know, it's like all of a sudden, and you know, you ever do it? And you're like, okay, I'm going to really do this. Ring. Come on, ring. Like you want someone to call, but you're like, you're good, about, you're about to talk to the Lord. But you're like, no. Oh, yeah. Hi. Yes. I was involved in an accident three years ago. You know. You know, it's like amazing how you get caught in all of this stuff. And it's like, wow, check it out. But what God says is, you know what? It it should look to you like something wallowing in its blood right now. Because I want it dead. I want this thing that's distracting you out. And I don't want you to kind of go, oh, yes, I'm going to follow. Whoa, never mind. You know, and it's like, how many times do we do that where the Lord's going, you know, let's get this thing handled. Because in God's mind, the most important thing is you. And we say, God, you're the most important. But, oh, yeah huh? I mean, it's like, and it's like, you know what that's like when you like want to bare your soul to someone, and they're like, yes, what you're saying is the most important thing here, was it? Yeah, huh? Uh, and you're like, you know, can if you really love someone, single task the moment, and you realize that's almost impossible to do now. I mean, when was the last time? Because for me, it's like, I multitask just about anywhere. You know, it's like, you know, I I try to do all my texting when I'm on the toilet because if I talk on the phone, you know what happens is sooner or later you're going to have to flush. And then you're like, oh, where's the mute? Where's the mute, right? You know, it's texting, nobody hears it. But then you're like, oh, this is gross. Is I should be doing this, right? You know, and, you know, and my I fun ringtone. So what happens is I'm sitting in there and, you know, we're in one of those public places and you hear, oh, yeah, because that's one of my text tones. And I'm wondering what the guy next to me is thinking. Here's the point. They're on their way to go take care of a major problem of rebellion. And on the way, the first guy doesn't even scrape up the people. He going not get five miles out. And what we're going to find here is that it's certainly not going to do. Then you've got a guy, instead of taking care of that, the first thing he does is he goes and he kills someone else that's supposed to be on his team. And then when that happens, the guy's laying there. And while that happens, everyone else is going, oh, check that out. And nobody's actually taking care of the problem now. And we're like, you know, how in the world can I spend this much time not getting right with the Lord? Because I'm all talking, no action. And then I'm like, no point, and I'm all distraction. Isn't that kind of how that works? Well, so what does Joab do? He's going to get the job done, by the way. You know, what he did, it says, he went and he moved the guy off the highway, verse 13, and all the people went on with Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Let's go take care of the situation. Verse 14. And he went through all the tribes of, of Israel to Abel. By the way, Elacan and Abel. Abel means nothingness. That's a great place to name a town. And Beth Ma'aka. Beth Ma'aka means house of torture, house of oppression, house of depression. An appropriate place for a guy that's starting a rebellion against the rightful king to be, right? So they all gathered together and they all went after Shabbat. Now, here's the interesting part to me, is that this particular location, this Bethlaka, is actually, in essence, it's four or five miles due west, if you will, uh, well, roughly due west, of Dan, which is the farther, northern, farthermost part of Israel. And I get this. Because this is what happens to a guy that wants to drag you away from the Lord, whether he knows it or not. And what happens is he goes, come on, this these are the edges of Christianity. These are the territories. Let's go right here. You know, in the center is where we're going to be with the rightful king. But you're still not going to hell here. You know, I mean, let's face it, you're kind of technically still a citizen, you're technically still in the borders, but let's face it, is that really where you want to be? I mean, when you realize the danger that is on the other side of that border... it's like, you know, okay, well, let's kind of play that out. Okay, you're not pregnant. You don't have a disease. Check it out. You did this right. Really? Are you going to be at that edge? Well, check it out. Okay, you really should have been pulled over for that. Let's face it. What you did because you were completely smashed, bad idea, but you got away with it. Check it out. We're right at the edge here. Whoa, we're Christians on the edge. But it's not the edge that God wanted. He told us that the gates of hell would not prevail. We should be storming hell and pulling people out, not actually knocking on it to see if we're still invited to the party. And in this situation here, he's at the farther part. He's at the edge of all of this. And I remind you, he's trying to drag people there, which means he's dragging them to the farthest place away from the king that he can get them and still be in Israel. I think that that's fascinating. By the way, today, that basically stares at Beirut, to give you an idea. Well, with that in mind. So here's the situation. Joab's going to take the situation down. He's going to take care of this guy. So they get there, verse 15. It says, They cast a siege mount against the city. It stood at the rampart, and all the people who were with Joab battered the wall. Notice they're doing it to throw it down. So this guy has surrounded himself in a city. He's got a human shield. He's got all these people of the city now that are surrounding him so that no one's coming. They're not going to kill innocent people. And all of a sudden, imagine you're kind of there. You don't know this guy has done this. He comes in with a big crew of people. And you're kind of, oh, this is interesting. And then all of a sudden the the city gets surrounded and a guy starts taking a battering ram and they're they're running it into the front of it. And you're kind of like, what's going on here? You know, you're sitting there, you're having a lovely lunch or an afternoon tea. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like 314 bobby show up right to the next place over and all gathered. And even some of them have those automatic weapons and they always keep their hand on the trigger. That always kind of it seems weird to me. You know, and they're all kind of walking in and you're kind of thinking, oh, whatever. Glad I picked this place. Well, I mean, that's kind of the idea here, right? But it gets better. It says, then, verse 16, a wise woman. Now, who calls her a wise woman? The same person who called, called Shiva a jerk. God. God said, here's a guy that's really a loser. And then here's a, a woman who's really wise. Now, find in the Middle East 3,000 years ago a place where a woman's applauded as the smart one, as the wise one. Well, here's a place. So the wise woman cried out from the city, Here, here, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak to you. So when he come near, the woman said, Are you Joab? And he said, I am. And then she said to him, Well, here are the words of your maidservant. And he said, I'm listening. She said, they used to talk in former times. They said, surely they seek guidance from Chabel, and so they would end disputes. I'm among the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. So why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab, the guy, I remind you, who just kind of killed Amasa, his cousin on the way, he said, oh, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. Yeah, well, so get the picture of this. It's like he's battering this all of a sudden you know kind of a voice comes over the, over the you know over the wall., uh, what you doing? We're going to batter in your town. Well, who's leaning this? Joe up? Can I talk to him for a second? Sure, and all of a sudden, you know this guy's like he's like going to batter his thing because there's an army to fight, and out comes like a gal with her walker. She's like, "Excuse me, you know the reputation of our city? No, this was a place people thought wise people went. What's the problem? So, are you really trying to kill us all? Joab says in verse 21 No, 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 that's not it. But, the, but a, that is not so. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Shiva the son of Bichri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I'll depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, Watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Now, <laughs> there's wisdom. There is wisdom. God says there's a wise woman in action. Really? So imagine the conversation. Because somewhere down the line, this bloodthirsty Joab has to talk with this woman. And I kind of get the idea. Joab's like, now there's a woman I can hang out with. You know, it's going to rip a guy's head off. I like this girl. So imagine, she's looking and she's like, so what's the issue? Well, here's, we got a problem. She goes, so basically you're just trying to get ahead. He goes, yeah, that's the point. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to just chuck it over the wall. Now, did you ever think about this? Now, there's a part of me that my mind goes wild, and I think, what, the, what would that be like? So Joab goes, all right, well, stop. Stop burying the wall. Look for a head. You know, and they're all kind of just waiting. I wonder if she said it, because I can hear it in my head. Can you hear it in yours? Heads up, right? And, you know, and then it's like, woof, over the wall it goes, and clunk, clunk, comes down the head. Now, did they kick it? Did someone do one of those like, really cool scissor kicks? Or well, We don't really know how it got over the wall. Did they make it on the first try? Did someone go, Oh, oh okay. No, oh, no, no. Let me try. Okay. Oh, come on. You guys are weak. I mean, We don't know. All we know is sooner or later, the head gets over the wall. And as the head gets over the wall, the whole thing's going to stop. Now hear me on this. We know, by the way, from Genesis chapter 3, when the first prophecies come, about a fallen couple, do you remember what, what, what God promised the woman would happen with the sea that came from her? She would bruise or crush the head. Remember that? Interesting. Obviously, it was the head of the serpent. In Ephesians, we read that Christ is the head of the church. Your head has all your senses at it, where below your head, only the sense of feeling exists. Your head is where people get their identity from. That's why when we look at a yearbook or a mugshot, it's your face. It's your head. It's not your shoulder or your hand. They don't go, oh yeah, well I know who that is. Look at that foot. You know, it's your face. It's your head. And there's this leadership and identity thing. And what happens somewhere in all of this, this guy that was a leader had taken the headship of these people and the wise woman said, if we could just get the head off of this guy, this whole thing's going to stop. And there's the idea when you're kind of going to the Lord. And you're going, Lord, what's the situation? And he's going, you know, you realize, Tony, in my case, you realize, Tony, that... I, 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 that there's this thing between us and you're letting a headship thing happen here and headship is lordship and he goes look it there's something else you're letting call the shots instead of me and I belong on the throne and, and this person doesn't will you allow me to be the head I should be in this situation and a wise woman says off with his head maybe she was French alright and we end it with this the rebellion's crushed the moment the head is removed and the new head is pr- the proper head is put on and then we have a list of guys eight men listed here Joab was over the army of Israel let's face it who wants to try to take his job now every time someone tries to take his job he kills him Benaiah, the son of Yehoyada, that's how you say that, by the way, when you were reading, um, was over the Heresites and the Policites. I remind you, that's the special ops, black ops guys. Adoram was in charge of the revenue. Yehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shiva was a scribe. Zarok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, the Yerite, was the chief minister under David. Great, Thanks. That's what I really wanted was an eight men that I probably will never meet. Well, maybe you'll meet him in heaven. And you'll be like, Ira, wait a minute. You were the chief minister under David. And, be, and the guy, I'm guaranteed, will turn and go, you were from Calvary Chapel. Maybe. Anyway, all right. But, you know, it's like, and you can kind of go, cool. So I have names. But then I start tearing that apart a little bit in our last minute. And understand, I know Joab, Yah, like Yahweh means God. Ab means, like Abba means father. His name means father God. Benaya, Ben like son, but benyah means to build or to construct or to birth out or if you will, to, um, to, to manifest. So you have God manifests. And then you have this name, Yehoiada, which means to know God. Then you have Adoram. Adoram means whom God deploys or sends out or causes to happen. Yehoshaphat, you probably know, means... God will judge or God judges. And this is a Hilud. And a Hilud means the brother who is begotten. Hmm. Shiva means covenant. Zadok means of righteousness. Abiathar, Abba again means father. It means father of grace or abundant father or generous father. And then Ira, which means to raise up, like to wake up or to bring up. So I put all that together. This is what I have. That the Father God manifests to know God. He deploys and judges the begotten brother in a covenant of righteousness. That Father of grace then raises him up. And there's your gospel right there at the end. And we could have missed it because we just read the names and gone, Yahweh, Jehoyah, how do we say it? I mean, the bottom line is what God tells us, even in all this, God says, let me just tell you about eight guys. Father God is the one who's going to manifest to know Him. He's going to deploy and judge one who had to be begotten, who had to be our brother. Hebrews tells us, because we have flesh and blood, he himself had to share in the same, that through death, he might actually deliver those who were in bondage their whole lives by the fear of death and release us from the very power of Satan himself. I realize, but the story doesn't end with that. The covenant of righteousness demands that our Father of grace raises him up again on the third day. And that's the point of this. For Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of our lives, we need to recognize that he was God manifest before us, being judged by God for our sins. And in God's covenant to make us right with him, God would raise him from the dead. And because he's raised from the dead, he has every right to be our Lord. Who else would you pick over you than the one person who's conquered the one thing you could never on your own, and that's death doesn't matter how big or how strong or how mighty. In the end of it all, death still wins. Except Jesus. Jesus came out of that and he's like, so is that all you got? Nobody else could say that. You say, well, there were other people raised from the dead. Yeah, but those are people Jesus raised from the dead, for instance. And there's Jesus again looking at the face of death going, well, because he would do it with others, he could do it with us too. We could take the death we have rightfully earned in our own selfish lives and thinking that we were on the throne when truth be told, it was really a fool like this man. And he says, let me take the throne. Stop trying to set limits for me and tell me what, what little things I can touch and what things really aren't property of yours anymore. This isn't Beauty and the Beast. You're not telling me, to stay away from the West Wing. In the end of it all, every area of your life belongs to him. Either he does or he doesn't. We say he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in your life. That's the choice you need to make. I'm making mine. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray specifically for those who've made claim to you tonight, first, but are distracted and they know that there are areas of their life they need to get right with you. But, they're talking about it but not doing anything. And they're so quick to follow Somebody who would lead them to the outskirts instead of to the center. I can't help but think, Lord, how in the wilderness you fried the outskirts of the camp. Those that were quick to be on the outer edge. Where they were okay to be part of the crew, but they weren't really interested in being with you. Please don't let that be us. Deliver us from our spiritual ADD where we'd be so quick to be driven away from us from you for all kinds of other things. Deliver us from Facebook. Deliver us from Twitter. Deliver us, Lord, from things that really have no real purpose under your Lordship. Or take those same things and redeem them so that you would use them for your glory to draw other men to you. It's yours, Lord. And we want you, King and Lord of all, and if tonight you're not sure if you've ever prayed to receive Jesus, accept His gift. You're sure you haven't. Pray this prayer with me right now. Don't don't mess around with this any longer. God in heaven, I'm a sinner. We both know that, and that sin makes me guilty before you. But just like you even said here with these names, that you had your son. Stand in my place and be judged by you because I deserve it. He chose my punishment and took it upon himself, dying on the cross, and then rose again on the third day so that I could be yours. And all you do, then you give me the dignity of choice. That's all the part I have to do is say yes, letting you be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I say yes. Please, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my ransom, and have my life now and make it beautiful. I hand myself to you I'm yours Jesus in your name and if you agree say with me Amen God you heard our prayer tonight now let us really live this out keep us from procrastinating or being diverted but rather now make us people to the point point. and Lord we just give you permission to behead the, the Shivas in our life to make us right with you in Jesus in your name Amen.